0: The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor with no day-to-day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership, the limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up, the limited partner is more than just a podcast it's a community to learn to participate to connect there's no other community out there like this for limited partners so subscribe to the podcast but most importantly join the community at thelimitedpartner.com welcome to the podcast with your host jake wiley well, awesome, guys. Welcome again. I'm your host, Jake Wiley. This week, we're joined by Arn Senadella. So he's the founder of the Spark Investment Group. Arn, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here and look forward to having a nice conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that this will be a really great conversation, but maybe let's set the table. If you wouldn't mind, maybe giving a little bit of background on who you are, maybe your path forward and how you got to where we are today.
1: Sure. So basically, I got out of uh, college and grad school and went to work in real estate, sold single family homes in Menlo Park in Palo Alto, California for 35 years and started investing in single-family rental properties, both in the Bay Area and across the country. Then in 2014, I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and we love it here. And then recently, I've started to transition my portfolio in multifam properties. So I founded Spark Investment to help busy professionals and parents reap the benefits of real estate
0: in a passive investing. That's awesome. I think that'll be really in line with probably what the community is looking to hear. But I guess let's maybe just ask you a really obvious question. What prompted the move across the country and how'd you end up in Greenville?
1: Yeah, good question. So my girlfriend and I were looking for kind of a different life, a change of life transition and traveled around the country for men You're looking for a place to go kind of focused on the carolinas and when we found greenville we visited here for about three days and about a month later we made the decision to move to greenville it took us about six months to kind of wrap up our life back home and so we moved here in november 2014. i don't know if you've been to greenville but it's a great place fabulous downtown. It's just really fun. And it's still a a small town, but it has all kind of the action, dining, entertainment that you would want.
0: Yeah, well, I happen to be in Charleston. I've been through Greenville a handful of times and, and I agree, especially the downtown. It's a little little sleepy, quiet, unassuming downtown that's right off the interstate. You got to drive for a few minutes to get there, but Greenville really is a great place.
1: Yes, thank you. Yeah, we like it here. Charleston is great and we've spent a lot of time in Charleston, but my girlfriend's afraid of hurricanes, so she wanted to get a little further from the
0: coast. Yeah, that, that's a fair comment. We get out of Dodge when they announce hurricanes, So. Totally get it. Well, let's transition a little bit because I think there's something else that was interesting. Maybe talk a little bit about your background in single family. And then when you got to or how you got to a tipping point where you said, "Okay, maybe enough of this. I want to start transitioning into the multifamily.
1: Sure. So I went to work with my father. 1978 is when I started. So I'm fairly old and he was an old school investor and he invested primarily in single family. Um, So I kind of just modeled his behavior and followed the path he had kind of set up. Did that for many years. And then early in 2020, I had a conversation with a local investor buddy here. And one thing led to another. And he sent me a podcast on multifamily investing, the true story. And I listened to it and kind of a light bulb went off. This was right when COVID was hitting. So I probably consume podcasts maybe three, four hours a day to learn the multifamily business. And the thesis behind it makes a lot of sense to me that. The benefits of multifamily investing based on housing affordabilities, a different kind of society, more contemporary, more mobile. People want to move, the dreams to live in Barcelona and then Tahiti for a year. So I think owning multifamily appeals to a larger subset of the population that may have 30 years.
0: To go. I think that's a great point. I really, really liked the aspect that it was a podcast that kind of transitioned it for you. And I mean, that is the hope of really what we're trying to do here is to open up doors for folks that maybe don't want to be active investors, because as you know, and I'm sure you could speak to it, being an active investor in real estate, single family is a full-time gig plus some, and things never go wrong when you want them to. It's always right as you left town or, you know, right in, you know, Saturday night, right when everything becomes an emergency call. Uh, I love I love the transition. It was a was a podcast. Yeah. So you are right. Managing your own rental
1: property is a lot of work a lot of work. And I was always in the real estate business, so it was maybe a little easier for me than somebody who has a hard, high-demand W-2 job. So for somebody who's working fifty, sixty, seventy 70 hours a week, trying to manage a rental portfolio on top of that is tough.
0: So I guess along those lines as you've made the transition and you're obviously working with investors as you move into multifamily, what what do you see being like the, the highs? Let's start there. Like what are, what are the highlights for the investors that are jumping into investing with you? The
1: highlights is it doesn't take much of their time. I think most people understand the benefits of real estate but either they don't know how to do it or they don't have the time to do it. So passive investing provides those benefits without the time commitment. So I would say that the cash flow equity growth some tax advantages, and it's pretty much hands-off. I'm a limited partner in maybe about eight syndications. And trust me, when those little deposits pop into my bank account kind of magically, I like it. I don't have to do any of the bookkeeping. I get a K-1. It's done. So there are a lot of advantages to LP investors and passive syndications.
0: You really hit on a point that I think is really cool too is, you know, there's always that concept of mailbox money and real estate can create mailbox money. And I think a lot of us, me included, jumped into the game early in my career with single families thinking like, hey, this is going to be mailbox money it really wasn't, right? It was sweat equity. It was a job on top of a job. But what you're describing as a true passive investor is not even mailbox money, it just shows up on a recurring basis in your bank account. And it's prescribed, right? There might be some surprises along the way, but for the most part, you can count on it. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yes. I would say in the seven or eight that I'm in, Maybe only one hasn't quite performed as projected, but I can say two or three have really exceeded projections. I would liken it to if you bought five different stocks, would all five go up? Would all five go through the roof? Probably not. You'd probably have a couple winners and maybe one or two losers where with the multifamily syndication, much less volatile, kind of predetermined income, regardless of what's happening in the market. So there are a lot of advantages to it.
0: Let's kind of dig in maybe to the lows, right? Because I think that the other side of the coin is that you can't just give your money to somebody and hope for the best, right? There are are a lot of aspects. What market? What type of asset? What do we think the returns are going to be? How is this going to be communicated? So one, being a limited partner and two, working with limited partners, what's your advice on A, what are some of those lows? What are some of the landmines that you've seen and or experienced? And then B, what advice would you give to help avoid those?
1: Sure. So I think one thing is when you're a limited partner, you make the investment, you kind of lose all control on the investment. So I think you need to kind of think about that. You're basically in the deal for the duration. So I think that could be a positive low if you don't kind of understand that going in, right? Occasionally, deals do not perform. We've had COVID, which has caused some complications. And so maybe at some point, the returns aren't exactly what are projected. That's kind of life. I think as a passive investor, you really need to kind of educate yourself. I'm in contact with as many indicators and operators as you can. Listen to them, talk to them and get a sense and use your life experience to kind of decide, is what I'm being told makes sense? Is this an individual I can trust with my hard-earned cash? And then, of course, you can look at the numbers. And as an investor, if they're promising you kind of outrageous returns, I would just take a close look at that. So I think it's a variety of factors, education, interacting, getting to know these operators, and then just using your life experience and judgment. The one other point might be, as a pastor, Massive investor, you have a nest egg that you can invest. I would recommend that you invest it in three or four, or five different deals, perhaps. And that way you get to test the waters as opposed to going all in with one operator. So I think you can spread it around, diversify it. And that's a way to kind of reduce
0: risk. So one of the things you brought up there was connect with as many syndicators, operators as you. Can can. How would you recommend people do that? How do you even start that process?
1: Just old school networking, social media, join investor meetups, listen to podcasts, because most of the operators do have a podcast and or appear regularly on other folks' podcasts. And the beauty about a podcast is you get to actually hear that person for 30 or 45 minutes. So I think you just network, get into the space. There are investor groups. Groups, and yours is one of them where LP investors can kind of share their experiences with various operators. So I think that's a great way to, to do it, too.
0: Yeah. And I think there's there's definitely a cheat sheet here is that uh, I'm interviewing a lot of uh, syndicators, operators here on the show. So thank you, Arn, for um, sharing the sharing the cheat sheet. And that's part of the community, right, is that, you know, we want to create exposure to different people. And then, you know, the other thing is that it, it takes a little bit of work, but it is Is a relatively small community too, right? So it's not, there's just people everywhere. Like we all start to know each other pretty quickly. It's not too hard. It takes a little bit of work in the beginning because you don't see people running around with shirts on that say like, I am a syndicator, but a couple questions and, and you can get there. Am I wrong on that one?
1: No, you're exactly right. It is a relatively small community. So you can make headway. And what I would say for a passive investor, most of your work, almost all of your work is before you invest, right? That's when you spend the time. Once you make the investment, you can it back. So do your homework first before investing hard-earned
0: cash. Yes. Then that is the whole premise of like the show, right, is you can do very well. You can set yourself up. You can get the real mailbox money, but you have to do some work on the front end. And it's not going to be super easy. You've got to listen. You've got to understand what other advice, you know, for example, there are geographic markets. There are different property types. Like how would somebody even start to make heads or tails? of how to decide what they want to invest in?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So most people kind of understand the Sun Belt, maybe the Mountain West are kind of growth markets. But within those markets, there's an infinite number of submarkets you can invest in. One might be you might actually want to visit some of these areas and kind of get your own sense for what's going on. In terms of the type asset, I think that comes down to maybe your risk profile, your risk tolerance level. So, for example, one could invest in a 2020 class class A, beautiful, gorgeous building. And that building's going to produce solid returns, but maybe not as much perhaps as a heavy lift class C value add 1970s project where there's more work involved, more ability to increase rents and therefore value. So I think investors kind of got to sort their risk tolerance levels and how aggressive do they want to be. The analogy would be, are you going to invest in IPOs or gross stocks or dividend stocks or value stocks? So multifamily provides that same kind of choice, core, plus value, add, distress, and each investor needs to figure out kind of where they feel best in terms of capital preservation versus potential. Potential return.
0: That's really key because we talk about that a lot on the show. Imagine you're driving down the street and you see that beautiful new apartment building and it's great. That is a class A location, probably a class A building. What you're going to be able to do with that, let's just say we go in there and we buy that apartment, we're not going to be able to do a whole lot to that to improve the rents or increase the the NOI, right? Which then affects the, the value of the property. But it's also not going to have a lot of problems, right? So it's very consistent and you kind of know what you're getting. So that is why institutional investors, you think about the big pension funds, they are investing in properties like that because there is not a whole lot of risk. Now, you kind of take it down a step and then there's like, to your point, the value add where, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's just been kind of run down for a little bit. It's still in a great location, but there's just opportunity. The apartment right next door is a premium you know, versus this building. Well, maybe you can take that and and recoup that premium, right? And then get the value. So then you really need to be very comfortable with your operator who's going to do that turn and then there's the true distress, which is this thing's boarded up and we're making a significant, you know, value play here. And again, like you've got to feel really comfortable with the operator. And I think that those are really, really great points is that, you know, the further you know down the chain you go, the more risk there is there. But the flip side is that the opportunity for the reward is significant.
1: Precisely. And what I see is generally most syndicators operate kind of in one space. There's a great outfit here in Columbia, South Carolina, and they're killing it with Class A properties. I've invested with them one. But that's what they do. If they then showed me a heavy value add, I might go, well, wait a second. This isn't your normal cup of tea where there are other operators who really do do in that class C value add space. So as a passive investor, I'd want to know, is the offering today similar type asset to what you normally do? And that would be important to me because just like property management, if your property management company used to dealing with $3,000 a month tenants, that's a much different demographic than $800 a month tenants, right? And so horses for course you have to find the operators who match the assets they're presenting to you.
0: You bring up a really great point. I don't want to pick your brain on here. So in terms of operators working in their core area of expertise with COVID and the craziness that is in the marketplace right now, are you seeing people start to step outside of their lanes because their basic blocking and tackling work is harder to come by?
1: Good question. Yes, I've seen some operators kind of go after different Type of assets than they normally work. I also see them going to different markets. And so I would say, as a passive investor, if you're working with an operator that owns five assets in Atlanta, for example, great market, and they have another one, you can be pretty confident they know that market, right? But now, if they jump to Phoenix, and it's their first deal, do they have the same market knowledge there that they would in Atlanta? So I am starting to see people go broader to find deals because they're harder to find.
0: Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing, but I think the point that you're making that I want to highlight here is that you have to know what you're, how they're going to handle that. And
1: yes, I don't think it rules it out, but it's a question a limited partner investor could ask. Mr. Syndicator or Miss Syndicator, this is a new market. Who are you going to have do the property management? Do you have a prior relationship? So there's an area of questioning query that I think would be worthwhile doing that. And again, evaluate what they say and does it make sense to you or not?
0: Yeah, great points. And then maybe one of the kind of final questions here is where do you see opportunity here in this current market?
1: It's a tough market. So I'm looking every day, and I'm bullish long-term on real estate. We have a severe housing Shortage. I don't see any real easy solution to it, right? Severe housing affordability, population growth. So I think all the fundamentals for multifamily investing good. That being said, we might run into a year or two of headwinds here. So I think there's still opportunity, but perhaps expectations have to be tempered a little bit. And so like on my deals, if I can get people's Six, seven percent cash on cash and IRRs of 14, 15 percent, and it's a relatively low risk deal. To me, that's a good investment, risk adjusted for the reality of our world. Other thing, it's all about fundamentals, proper cash reserves proper use of leverage, right? This is not the time to get out over your skis. I've been in the real estate business 44 years, so I've been through a few cycles. And as long as you're prudent and you can ride out a little turbulence, you're going to be happy you own real estate. The long-term curve is up. There's no other way. It's not going to change. So I particularly like the Carolinas, maybe because it's where... I live, and I don't really like to fly. So I kind of stick in my backyard that I know also like the Mountain West. So I think the Mountain West area of the country is a great one to go to, too.
0: Well, awesome. This has been a great conversation. You've got some great points, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks
1: for having me, Jake. Pleasure to meet you.
0: You too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Limited Partner Podcast please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the limited partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together, learn about what best in class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll see you next time.